Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the million dollar extreme of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka Spice-themed Cannabis Corpse parody band. And I'm the black metal guy, aka At Night, In the Woods, doing Roman Sanko growls at a bear. <laughs> is is that how you spent your, uh, your camping trip? <laughs> I, I actually, yes. Well, you said you, you, you had texted me eagerly saying that you had a, a cool story for the intro, the episode. Or... That was it? You you actually growled at a bear on your camera? Yes. Trip? I mean, you know, I'll give it a, you know, there was a, uh, there was a, a bear had been in the camping site earlier when we were not there, and it had, uh, uh we were told, we, we came back, my buddy and I came back to the camping site after, uh, one of, one of our dudes was already back there, and there was this crowd of people milling around, and they were very agitated, and they were like, oh, there was a bear in your tent. Um, and we went and checked, and we were like, okay, good one, guys. Are the Spike we Extreme CDs safe? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, luckily the bear was, um... Yeah, the bear yeah, was a poser. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it was. It was, a, it was a black bear. It was tiny. Um, or, no, I mean... Still objectively large, but tiny for a bear. Um, <laughs> you know, not not a not a grizzly. But um, we uh, we we went over to our tent and we were like, "Ha, yeah, nothing. There's nothing been in the tent." Uh, but then somebody showed us a picture of the bear next to our tent, and uh, we in oh, fact there you found go. <laughs> and we in fact found um, two uh, two two relatively large claw holes in, in one side of it. Uh, so, um, so there had been a bear sort of interested in the tent curious, shall we say. Um, and, uh, we were like, well, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, most of the other people, uh, like left and, uh, we stayed. And then, um, later that night, come back to the site and, uh, and, uh, you know, are heading to bed. And then, you know, I just hear a low, I just hear a low sort of sustained rumble like <laughs> sort of like sort of like you know like low vocal fry with a bit of tone to it and it sounds exactly like a bear like you know like the stand the kind of standing growl like not like growl but the sort of standing kind of like you know like a dog panting or a cat purring right kind of mm -hmm. just like a standing rumble and it's it's in the fucking dark, and so we go DEFCON 5 with, like, you know, he headlamps on, like, sticks, and just uh, start uh, yelling at the bear. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and the bear does not, uh, the bear does not produce itself, but the rumbling stops, then it starts again, then we yell again, and then it stops. So, it's, uh... And then we uh, had to crash again. And then as soon as we're in the tent, we hear it again. At which point, <laughs> at which point it becomes somewhat concerning. Uh, but, um, you know, it doesn't, nothing, nothing after that. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I think he cleared off. So that, that is, that is the bear encounter. I suppose there's the off chance it was not in fact a bear, but Sasquatch. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you gotta leave, uh, you gotta leave s'mores out for the bear. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what he got upset about. 
<laughs> like whenever uh, whenever I went camping as a kid, me and my dad would always set out s'mores for the bears uh, before we climbed into the sleeping bag together. Did they did were the s'mores um was the sacrifice accepted? Yeah, bears are basically like Santa Claus. That's pretty cute, man. He leave treats out for him. (laughs) I like how you slid past what was supposed to be the end of the bit of me climbing into the sleeping bag with my dad. But (laughs) oh, I I had a whole setup. (laughs) Oh, that was so. It was all a lie. I was so focused on the wholesome part that I for that I completely. I I heard it as climbed into the tent or climbed into the sleeping bags with your dad. <laughs> no, you gotta stay together for body warmth down in Florida. Um, <laughs> anyway, so well, okay. On this episode of uh, Terminus, the Death Metal guy tells us about his uh, his hidden trauma, <laughs> as though the albums I bring onto the show didn't tell <laughs> that well enough. I was I was gonna say, yeah, it gives you or the fact he, that I'm I'm sixty four episodes deep into a fucking metal podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a symptom in the DSM. Um, all right, so uh, first time in a while, uh, both of us have news from the Greater Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere. So, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus. Late night recording. I've been smoking a lot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, early next year, uh, Lori Bravo, who you may know from my interview with her uh, regarding nuclear death and her solo work, uh you know, as, as we've talked about, uh, me and Lori have been working together, getting the old uh, nuclear death discography uh, put online. And uh, just recently, she has gotten a deal together with Dead Ascension Records. This is a new record label out of Texas that's starting. Kind of started as a uh, kind of a promotional outfit down there, setting up shows, and now it's expanding into the label realm. And they are going to be releasing her newest solo record, Bare Bones, on CD and vinyl in uh, early 2022. Wait, um, like Bare the Animal or Bare sort of nude? Bare nude. Okay. Although, you know, maybe after our discussion, I should suggest a title change for Bare Bones. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm uh, excited to see that because that is actually... uh, I played a little bit of it on the interview and we talked about her solo work for a while, but... Anyone who's listening, you should definitely check it out. It's very interesting, kind of uh, kind of folky singer-songwriter, but with a, a big kind of dark, neo-bluesy streak to it. It's definitely something worth checking out for people who are into extreme music, even if it's, you know, at least sonically on the softer side. It still has a lot of the darkness and weirdness that we're looking for in music. So, uh, glad Just to see Just tell that people happening. it's neo-folk. I, it basically is. I there mean, you I, go. American I, I just, neo, Americana neo-folk. That's, that's actually a good description. I don't think that Lori herself listens to a lot of neo-folk, but she basically just got there on her own. So, I yeah, mean, I think it works. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, what do you got? Well, uh, for as far as news, we've got a uh, upcoming interview. Um with Mulder Yawn and Robes of Snow. Uh, this is to mark the release of their split, which we reviewed the other week. Um, coming out, um, it's already out on both their band camps, but it is coming out on hard copy on August 31st on as a tape on, as we prophesied, Old Mel. 
So we um, got it right. We didn't fuck that up completely when we no. Well, we actually got <laughs> we actually got it even righter than we thought. Um, it apparently the system is they put out the records and then Old Mill will offer uh, to pick it up. Like uh, so, it's not. So it's not, so apparently, like, Old Mill, at least in general or so far, doesn't operate on a, you know, it doesn't, like, sign bands, right? Mm. It's more of a, uh, it's more of a bands release their shit digitally, and then, uh, you know, um, Old Mill will offer to put out a release. It's in that, and that way it's more of a sort of uh, handshake gentleman's deal kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I mean, we're like mm-hmm. uh, Asperger's underground black metal Nostradamus now, so mm-hmm. we'll have to we'll have to make more dramatic label predictions. To, <laughs> wasn't Nostradamus Asperger's Nostradamus? I, yeah, yeah. It, like as it was coming out of my mouth, I said I'm probably being redundant there. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> All right. So uh, before we get to our rundown, um, as usual, social media. Follow me on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, or The Black Metal Guy, uh, on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, If you really want to get invested in the uh, loathsome creative process of the podcast itself, uh, you can support us on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, the newest of which just came out last week. Uh, wonderful meeting between a very strange uh, underground Australian black metal gem and <laughs> a very well-known slam death record uh, just covering interesting old stuff from the 90s that we love. And uh, $5 and up gets you access to, yes, the bonus episodes, of course, as well as the uh, Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we share our favorite Sam Hyde sketches and talk about how you have to remember that Jesus is king even when Satan is very cool and riding a very fast motorcycle. So, <laughs> uh, interesting uh, interesting setup of records today. We got some fun stuff, we got some really weird stuff, and uh, just about everything in between. This is going to be a good one for our dedicated listeners, but... Uh, uh, Black Metal Guy, you are up first with uh, something near and dear to your heart. What do you got? All right. Uh, up with uh, Wilt of Roses Crimson uh, by Apparition of Sunlight on Tour de Garde. Apparition of Sunlight is a thing that I had seen in YouTube browsers and thought, damn, I need to check this out uh, because it looks and sounds cool. Um And then uh, some of our listeners asked about it, and I was told, oh, hey, it's the project of the guy from Finn. And I said, well, of course, we will be covering that. And so we are, and it is good. (laughs) It certainly is. Um, So that's just a a little aperitif, uh, since it's on the shorter side. And then we got three pretty pretty substantially long records after that. Uh, So for the first half, mine is going to be... Beast Lurker with Celestial Hench Whores of Flame out on Gods of War Productions. Um, Gods of War is actually a label we featured a lot of stuff from uh, since we've been on the podcast. We should we should really develop some closer ties with the dudes over there because they're putting out a lot of stuff we like. But this will come kind of as a surprise because what Gods of War tends to put out is a lot of stuff kind of in the the murky sort of profanatica vein, kind of like ritualistic mm-hmm. Black Death stuff. But in this case, we've got a straight-up leather jacket, uh, Devil Rides the Fastest Motorcycle, uh, melodic Black Death record. 
Um, debut record from these guys out of Chicago. Uh, a whole lot of fun. I just thought, you know, it's been a while since we've had a record on that just had a shit ton of big hooks. And you know how I love that, so we decided to give this one a shot. Uh, then after our interlude, uh, I'm going to be coming back with the debut record by Ild, uh, called Fondens uh, Lichtesker, uh, something to that effect. Uh, this is out as a uh, limited CD on Screaming Skull Records. Um, this is going to be an interesting review, because it's very difficult uh, music to describe. It's uh, sort of slow to mid-paced uh, folk-infused black metal that sounds certainly nothing like what you're imagining in your head right now. So I'm, I'm eager to dig into that one because I, I think it's got a lot of depth to it that's going to be fun to discuss. And, uh, and you're, uh, you're wrapping it up for us. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so after that, we've got our first ever uh, boundary-breaking uh, Terminus... Terminus limit smashing, uh, industrial or power electronics or harsh post-industrial record, uh, Resigner by Eight Hour Animal on Sentient Ruin, and this was actually uh, um, submitted to us by the guy from Eight Hour Animal, who is a Terminus fan. So we actually um, we've managed to reach the uh, reach the industrial noise guys. All right, so here we are. Rolling off with Apparition of Sunlight's Wilt of Roses Crimson on Tordegard. So, um, as I mentioned just before in the little show preview that nobody listens to, um, <laughs> we were, uh, I, I had seen this around on the internet and thought this looks like a kind of thing I would like. And then a bunch of our listeners and patrons and stuff messaged me saying, are you guys going to cover this? Are you guys going to cover this? And they were like, it's the project of the dude from Finn, who, of course, we've mentioned on this show many times before as an example of some of the best uh, modern USBM and a paradigm of the kind of solar metal subgroup um, of, of sort of the, the mutation of black metal into something more uh, radiant and diurnal, right? So... Uh, so I was like, well, fuck it, of course, I'm going to listen to this, and uh, of course we're going to cover it. And it is just an EP, and a relatively short EP compared to the EPs we usually review, but seems worth covering. Also, you know, uh, also, yeah, so the, uh, the, the, ma the guy from Finn, uh, um, and he is joined here, he's doing guitar and harsh vocals, he is joined by dudes from Montreal. Finn was from Chicago, so this is a geographic shift. Um, and the first is Edward Alpin of Alain Mord on bass and clean vocals, and uh, Antoine Pellerin, Pellerin of Delaterre and Monarch. And those two are both pretty well-known Quebecois BM bands. They're a little different from the mainline Tour de Garde sound. You know, they don't they don't have the punky thing. Mm -hmm. They are more like down the line kind of uh, d down the line French BM stuff, uh, sort of um, you know uh, high high density Seigneur Volant kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, also some fun facts about the lineup: uh, Antoine also drums in a brutal death metal band. Potential oh, interest good. to you. 
called Soiled <laughs> by Blood, right? And always good for a drummer, um, especially. And uh, Edward did a stint in um, Uwada, of all things. Um, <laughs> uh, as a, you know... Uh, as you know, just playing with them for a year, and uh, I think that that band is going to come up again in the next review. So, um, so yeah, um, what? Why is this significant aside from the Finn connection and aside from it being cool? Well, uh, I'd say well, that it's really like, good. I mean, there's well, that. that's that's what I said. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. It's really good, and. Um, it is one of the first things we've covered, or one of the only things we've covered, I guess, because there have been a number at this point that really would we would primarily identify using the kind of outlaw rock tag we cooked up a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it's black metal, sure, but only in the most general sense that things descended from black metal are black metal. Um, it is... The song structures are much more oriented around mid-tempo. The guitars are, in many ways, closer to a more rock in the broad sense approach. And there is, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to place it in that grouping. Um, and what we can hear on this record is maybe, on this record and the way it converges with a few other things we've covered, uh, is the solidification of maybe a standard version of the style that we've seen in a bunch of highly disparate kind of individual takes so far. Yeah, I can see that. It's, uh, I mean, this is, this is Outlaw Rock without question. I mean, exactly. It's, it's, it's just, it, yeah. <laughs> like, this is as Outlaw Rock as Makwahedal is now and yep. Old Juan Gash and, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And we could we could say with those, I'd say the Strix Esquesis is also something where you could only be like, okay, this is that. But mm-hmm. that's eccentric relative to these. Whereas this fits to a T. Those are exactly the two bands I was thinking of. This is like Old Juan and Maquiedal. Yeah, yeah. There's there's the foundation from which the new mm-hmm. era will bloom. Yes, um, has the has the <clears throat> sort of glorious has the glorious vibe, has the um you know, the sort of um rugged frontier nobility and all that yeah well there's also i I like how all of those bands mentioned have their own accentuating features too these are not bands that sound exactly like each other um no and i did not mean to suggest that so i'm good you added. oh no no i'm just clarifying um Mm -hmm. because for instance apparition of sunlight in particular is closer to modern very solar style French stuff um, mm-hmm. then you know it's it's not quite it's definitely there but it's not quite as invested in sort of the hardcoreisms of something like old Juan Gash mm-hmm. um, and it's not quite as uh, filled with some like cl- things that are closer to mainline black metal riffing like Maquahedal does. Um, so it's carving out its own niche. It's exploring the possibility space of this uh, this general idea, um, and it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> like yeah. as soon as like thirty seconds in, I was like, oh yeah, this is fucking this is great. The, yeah, this is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I guess also the other thing those all those three have in common is to varying degrees, kind of jangling big chord based rock uh not rock sort of like folk-ish kind of guitar styles 
guitar, like electric guitar styles that evoke acoustic guitar playing in various ways. And yeah. this has that, you know, this has that in its own way, in its own degree in a lot of these ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the guitar mm-hmm. tone alone on this, uh, this EP is very worth talking about. Um, because the guitar tone is doing stuff that I've never really heard in an extreme metal project. Um, it mm. is, it's very shiny. It's very bright, but it's not glistening in the way that like post black or like Cascadian black metal is. It has that total solar power to it, mm-hmm. but it, uh, it it's very distinct. And I think that it has a big influence on the way these riffs are played and the way they come across to the listener. Well, it's pretty close to the tone from Finn, um, but it's been where where Finn is very sort of solar assaulting, right? This Mm -hmm. has a lot of... um, Wait, you just used a good word for it, but this has a kind of... um, And an airiness to it not in the sense of lacking definition but in the sense of um yeah what what, what was the word you used it was a good one oh, it's bright and shiny yeah yeah it's 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 bright it's um yeah certainly not the glistening reverbed out thing um and uh you know like it's Maybe maybe glassy, but that usually suggests kind of post-punky stuff. Um, I've got I've got some I, I've I've tried to think of some comparisons for it uh, later in the review. Um, a, a thing where I've really heard a maybe a more exaggerated version of this tone um, that has you know sort of chaotic reverb, not post-black reverb, is a project called Stars and Shadow that uh, hmm. C AKA MK started after Finn. Oh, okay. Which, at least when I first heard it, had that style of riffing, basically. I think they may have, speculating here, they may have been, like, riffs that were intended for a fan record that were just, like, um, played with a totally different inflection. And so it almost sounds like really wild, manic DSBM. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of, like, uh, um, bright sort of luminous bright kind of uh i guess highly malleable you know what a term would be highly malleable tone um it's very responsive to the physical way it's played yes really responsive to it it's you know so like and you get like that to a really high degree on stars and shadow um the record i heard was cadence within shadow um and here it's a little more restrained and also a little more uh a little more liquid on this record, smooth. This yeah. is this is very smooth legato playing. Well, uh, let's uh, let's go to an example. Uh, so, uh, just like branching right off that, talking about the physical process of playing this. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, all the members of this band are excellent. They're all extremely talented. But right off the bat, like first riff on the fucking record is a riff paradigm that I've never heard before in extreme metal and I got super excited as soon as I heard it because I was like oh my god we're listening to something actually take shape right before our eyes Mm -hmm. Um, and it's going to be related to that very physical playing and the way the tone reacts to it so let's just listen to the very opening of the record uh, Mm -hmm. Grievances Profound and uh, Mm -hmm. 
listen for the giant bending slide riff, <laughs> and uh, you'll know what I mean immediately. Oh. Is it that one that goes bum 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 yeah, bum? Of course, bum, that's bum, like bum bum bum. That's an immediate all timer riff for me. That's mm-hmm. holy shit. I mean, so in, in terms of technique, those super dramatic, exaggerated slides. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard stuff kind of approximating it in very eccentric and very technically adept emo bands, like uh, something like a Union of Uranus, or I'm guessing, since they were related to them, like One-Eyed God Prophecy. Um, uh, maybe. I don't... Maybe in a breakdown. Like, I've heard... We've all heard... We've heard cool things like that. You and me have talked about cool things like that at lower tempos. Like, Skin Chamber does that, right? Makes the riff yeah. out of the slide. Um, but we haven't heard that... We haven't heard entire riffs gestated out of that technique. Especially with blast beats. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's one of those ideas that, once you hear it, it's like, it's so naturalistic. It's like, yeah, why haven't we been doing it this whole time? You know, you're creating this effect of, like, you know, dramatic sort of, like, cello bowing. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. just through an electric guitar. Which, you know, in a sense is what black metal guitar has always been it's been kind of trying to be a violin or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but now we have it not just with tremolo replicating the quality of a bow on strings now we have Mm -hmm. it with the physical gesture of like a large stringed instrument and then bang the possibility space is just opened up like as soon as i heard this i wanted to pick up my guitar and start playing around with ideas like that it's fucking it's awesome 
Yeah. I, I, I just had to double check it. Um, but uh, this is, it's called glissando, that sort of slide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's got a word kind of like glistening in it, too, right? But like the actual sense of glistening as opposed to quote unquote glistening, reverb drenched guitar tones. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the harsh vocals convey an atmosphere yes. of anguish and hatred. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's. I, I will say, chord wise, that is faithfully a Finn riff and virtually reproduces riffs on mm-hmm. certain of their albums, but it's like a leitmotif for him. You know, like it belongs to him as a player rather than the band. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, like it's, uh, going back to the origin of, uh, the origin of Terminus, like the, was it the falling fourth that is like a horns leitmotif or something like that? Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So this, so that riffs like that show up somewhat frequently on this record, but always recontextualized. Um, another thing that makes it so that it's the slide, and the slide works hand in hand with the reverb here. How would you, you know, production guy? How would you describe the reverb here? Because it is different from. Uh, you know, both sort of uh, chaotic, clanging black metal reverb and droning blaze birth reverb and the ye old proverbial glistening reverb. Um, really, I think a lot of it comes down to room size on the reverb mm-hmm. setting. Uh, most black metal bands are going for like cathedral or hall style reverb and. Uh, Feel free to stop me if this is, like, too basic. But the idea of reverb, especially with, like, modern digital audio workstations, mm-hmm. is there's these uh, sort of mathematical or geometric qualities you can impart onto it. You know, a, mm-hmm. a certain kind of space that the reverb is intended to simulate. And generally, people are just, like, giant fucking room, giant hall, big echo, that kind of thing. I think for these guys, the attempt, because after doing some reading on, like, Tour de Garde's Bandcamp, apparently this was recorded remotely. Um, Whoa. Yeah, that was a big surprise. That's, I I assumed, I assumed, yeah, interesting. So I think the kind of reverb here is designed to be, like, a small to maybe mid-sized room, and it's trying to give you the effect of, like, a rehearsal tape in a practice space. The sort of natural reverb you would get by just sticking a microphone in the in the middle of the room, and it's wonderful for that. Like if I had not read that about this record, I would have assumed this was just recorded in one shot. Oh, me too. Me too. It sounds very live. Yeah, it sounds extremely live. So I can only imagine when these guys do actually record together, how crazy it's going to sound. And, <sighs> yeah. Uh, so, so as not to just spend all my time talking about a single riff or reverb, vocals and the interplay between them are fucking phenomenal. And I especially want to draw attention to the clean vocals, which mm-hmm. you mentioned in the notes as well, which are amazing. And actually, I mean, it's, it's because it's still in my mind, so it's kind of, you know, contemporary to my thinking. The Samane record that we covered on mm-hmm. the last Terminus mm-hmm. Prime, the sort of clean vocals there are echoed here. This sort of, like... Like, in key, surprisingly tuneful, but still ultimately kind of barbaric and pagan, untrained. Just It's just natural talent. It's not polished at all, as it should be if you're going to incorporate clean vocals into black metal. Interesting. Okay, so I think we're hearing the same thing, but describing it differently. 
Because okay. the um, I would also agree that like untrained, unpolished seems right. It's very direct and immediate. There's no um, there's no attempt to affect a quote unquote black metal clean, which we've talked about being the bane of black metal. <laughs> yes, the, vocals, the, the bane right? of black metal incorporated ever, ever since ever since Isan decided to sing. Right. Um, the, the idea that it's supposed to be this strained, fake kind of operatic thing. Right. It's not a yeah. black metal clean. Um, it's not really. Uh, it's not heavy metal. It's not um, Bathorian. It's not. Um, you know, it, it's it's not really a punk thing, and uh, it's not really a goth thing either. But to me, it sounds a little like a goth thing. I can see that. And what remind what I, I sort of dug, and I was like, because it it's um. It sounds like Cold Wave. Mm, okay. Are, are are you familiar with this um, this tag? Uh, dimly, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what it sounds like. Uh, I like I like some shit that's been called Dark Wave before. I assume it's somewhere like that. <laughs> Strangely, no, not quite. <laughs> what the dark. fuck are we naming these things for? <laughs> well, you, you know, that's what they say about our genres. You know, um, <sighs> fair. But um, yeah, yeah, it's um. It's something uh, the best the best way I can explain it is in England we can divide things sort like post punk is a big family and within it there is goth and but then there's stuff that's just post punk and stuff that's goth right so like um what hire a goth band even though parts of it are kind of dark nobody would call Gang of Four a goth band mm. um uh even though it's kind of dark in its own way um uh. Or PIL, not a goth band. Um, but um, so there's post punk and goth, and you know there's new wave or whatever, right? Which is in New York too, and which has you know keyboard and and there's sort of like the early synth stuff like Depeche Mode or Cabaret Voltaire or whatever. Um, and then I'm sure I could think of better examples, but oh yeah, um, but, uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark example oh um, you see i but, love orchestra oh, movies in the dark oh yeah. that's a great band right i mean they, and oh, yeah, that's, that's more cool. that's more pop oriented but uh but like in france Everything i like was, it's more pop oriented <laughs> yeah well in 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 france there were like there was a cluster of bands that sort of fell into all those categories or moved between them differently. So, like, there's, like, Cold Wave is a cluster of French bands, and you could describe them as, like, post-punk that was very gothy and often had keyboards in it. Like, okay. I mean, the, a, a lot of, you know, like... Um, or stuff like that you missing couldn't... some nuances here. <laughs> exactly. Stuff, stuff that you couldn't really describe as goth in many cases because it lacked the theatrical sort of quality but stuff um or or the really sort of dark thing but was kind of like bleak and cold and removed right uh but also often had keyboards and then it's these are really i mean you could just call it french goth or french post-punk okay it's um uh so but so okay cold wave lesson aside that sounds like a reach reference and me trying to come up with something clever, but I don't think it is because I think like um, it's Tortigard and all those guys are tapped into sort of you know oi and post punk and and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's French, it's francophone stuff. Uh, okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, um, so to me, they don't sound barbarous because they sound kind of contained. Whereas the guy from Samain is sort of like, you know, sort of improv wailing all over the place. Yeah, I, I guess maybe barbarous is the wrong term. More just pagan, you know. There is something primival about the performance here. You know? Certainly prime. yeah, a very immediate. I mean, the other thing I was thinking of, which may, might go in support of your point, is the darkened cleans on the last Graveland, on the newest Graveland. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, in terms of just being kind of unadorned, not trying to do anything, not trying to make your voice sound deeper or higher or wilder, just like, here is my voice, clearly declaiming. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's not a uh, demonstrative gesture of yeah. like, ooh, look, I can do this. It's like, I would like to sing this line, and I'm just going to do it. And we'll let it lay as it is on the track. Yeah, like naive in a positive sense of the word. Not in the sense of inexperienced or youthful or callow, but in the sense of just like... Uh, um, just going for it. Yeah, going for it. Coming from the source. So, um, now that we've talked for ten minutes about one sample, um, <laughs> let's um, go to mine, which is... Uh, well... I guess in between, I'll just say there's three tracks on this. So I'll just say the middle one, Sway Thy Hand, is basically a black metal track. Um, and it's written more like a Finn song for that reason. But uh, th- even then, it's changed. Um, they're flashy and ornate, like uh, like the last Finn record. But they have, they change in t- their sort of internal shifts in the harmonic qualities and in the mood within the riffs so that they kind of like morph on the fly uh and that relates to the kind of liquid thing we were talking about in the riffing or the malleable thing uh and you know you could say this record is very gothic but not in the sense of like you know sort of uh not really in the sense of like stern and German or barbaric and German and not in the sense of goth rock per se but more like gothic cathedral like Notre Dame in France yeah you got like like the the guitar tone is like a stained glass light flashing through stained glass and like shapes like when it gets elaborate you got sort of these flying buttress shapes I think I used flying buttress a few episodes ago so it's buttress here baby Um, (laughs) it's pure buttress core over here (laughs) <laughs> or some some vaults, some vaults, but um barrel vaults. But um yeah, so like that's, you know, it, it's to be expected. You want to mix it up. Okay, let's throw on a black metal number. Um but as far as this more outlaw rock sound with the stomps to it, there is the last track, Roses Crimson. This is a sample that's a minute and 20 seconds long. Uh and a lot happens here.
I'll call it right now. If you're if you're playing black metal in a band, you should be listening to this for guitar reference points because there's so many cool ideas buried in like every minute of this little EP. You know, there's there's stuff to draw off of everywhere. Yeah. So like, what were we thinking? Well, that the uh, the second to last riff. Well, kind of the last full riff before mm-hmm. the. Uh, you know, before we get into the end of the sample, um, there's just all these little flourishes that are kind of in the manner of like a modern French band, but mm-hmm. the the melodic ideas are a lot more strained, a lot more sort of uniquely North American than you would typically hear from I don't know mm-hmm. something like Passism or like an antique band. Um, and we were talking about the sample was playing that, you know, some of those kind of spaghetti western style chord patterns, mm-hmm. these Ennio uh, oh. Marcone ideas. Finn is one of the originators of some of those in USBM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like pointing towards the more outlaw rock sound. And also with the sort of cowboy, a lot of lyrics were sort of like western outlaw themed. And e- even though the band in some ways is very down the line metal. It, it points towards this newer sound already. Um, yeah, I mean, so some of those spaghetti western things, like you're talking about the way he like, like, like sort of like feathers out those chords at the end of the phrases and lets them ring, like. Oh yeah, there's that. There's also these uh, these picking patterns you can pick. It's a little bit hard to hear, but subtly you can hear that there's sort of like a fast acoustic strum pattern going on, especially over that punk beat. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's not just a full tremolo. There's he's dropping chords here and there to you know, give it a little bit you, more internal rhythm. Do you mean the yeah 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 the stomp? Um, yeah, so that riff is so catchy, right? That's another <laughs> yeah. like that's a quintessential American stomp riff, right? Um, and uh, what's cool about it is, yeah, like you said, it approaches acoustic playing rhythmically. So it's just it's it's out of that sort of locked in punk thing, and it also is basically a chord progression. Like it, yeah. um, it's riffy as hell, but it's riffing around a chord progression, and the blasting part with those sort of more you know sort of flamenco flourishes at the end, uh, really is a chord progression. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. this song sounds and so what allows and what allows them to sustain that without it becoming like. I am playing the power chord of the root note, right? Is um, which you know occasionally works, right? But not, not as the center of a sound. Um, is a uh, what makes it work is the depth of the depth of his skill with chords. Yeah, um, and I, and, I and also that... the inflections in the plane, of course. But like part of it is just that one thing that was great about Finn was it's always had chords that are worth listening to. So even on this, so even though with that he was making melodies out of just like four string chords, here when he slows it down and just actually plays progressions, it's well worth listening to. Well, I think what we're getting at, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what you're getting at, I mean, we kind of all are when Mm -hmm. we talk about this style is um, that a, a lot of what makes this style interesting from not just a guitar perspective, but as a listener is the fact that, you know, black metal, you know, in its very, very earliest origins as an extension of heavy metal, which is an extension of rock, is, 
you know, naturally, originally, originated from blues. And blues has a, traditional blues has a rigorous sort of structural format to it. Um, but it also left a lot of room for improvisation and for, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the personality of the guitarist to shine through. Oh, good. Th- this is where I wanted to go. Yeah, so go for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, as a reaction to that, uh, a lot of early black metal, and I don't say reaction to dismiss it, it was a good thing that happened. Mm-hmm. They cut out a lot of the personality, so to speak, in terms of the playing, and it became purely an exercise in writing. You know, it became rigorously defined, and certain portions of the guitar. You, you could see that happening in extreme thrash too, or really, really in thrash in general, because it's not like a fucking Metallica solo is any good, right? Yeah, there, there simply yeah. wasn't enough space to put in the sort of like mm-hmm. personal touches. Here mm-hmm. and there. It was like, you write a riff, and then mm-hmm. you have to play that as quickly as possible. Now mm-hmm. what we're seeing is the two ideas joining. These sort of intricate riffs that are not necessarily conforming to a basic chord structure, but now, because the relative instrumental skill of the average person has expanded so much that even at these high tempos, even at this level of intensity, there is room for these ideas mm-hmm. to flourish. So, you know, we're seeing the ultimate resolution of black metal with... Old 12 bar blues you know 12 bar blues was never about the chords yeah. those were always the same it was about the flourishes in between and now we can have the best of both worlds in a single band that is a pretty good way of thinking about it yeah i th- I, th- I think i agree and you could see that kind of improvisational room in folk and in and, and rock and roll as well but yeah i i hear what you mean about the blues in particular as you know also as a, a source for rock and roll of course um uh and the I was gonna say this you could you could look at that transition in light of this specific uh, this specific tra- artistic trajectory here from Finn to apparition of sunlight mm-hmm. where like Finn had a very pronounced virtuosic guitar style right and also you know pronounced virtuosic drumming but um the guitars were uh, the guitars were like the ultimate in that not having enough space for for the for the improv like horror vacui in the extreme every single possible bit of space filled in every melody played faster than you would expect it to be played especially on the last record eras of the dying age every melody with way more notes than you think it could possibly have like really dense chords extremely maximalist um and you know just um war metal level blasting throughout basically um and everything filled in and so it's like you carry that style to the extreme and then like the main in some ways like the main difference between the guitars there and here is simply just that in slowing down and retaining that virtuosity he gives himself so much more room to uh to exercise that sort of that free improvisatory hand yeah, uh, and well, and it's interesting because this is uh, this is really a case of hiding your light under a bushel. Because compared to, I, I've heard a, a fair amount of Finn, not as much as you. Um, Finn is much more obviously technical. This is just as technical, but it's much more subtle. I mean, these are these are extremely hard riffs to play for the most part. To play them in the same manner as this guitarist is. 
It requires incredible control, a really intuitive sense of rhythm, really intricate right-hand work, and if you don't play it exactly right, it'll sound fumbling and weird. But with the way he does it, it has this wonderfully organic liquid quality that's uh, extremely difficult to reproduce. I hear that. Last thing about this song, I wanted to just say more specifically about the Makuahito thing. Is like, mm-hmm. this really sounds like a Makuahito song. Like, yeah, yeah, you I change the vocals, you change the guitar texture, um, maybe a few of the chord voicings make it a little less French Gothic, a little more sort of, um, a little more Mexican outlaw ballad, and you've got one of the songs on Kansu Pistola, right? Um, and, uh, I think in terms of, you know, especially in terms of this fluid change between riff, you know, there's so much like, it's like now part of the new openness you were saying, or that fusion is like now a possibility that's available to all bands is like play a sick riff, then play a chord progression, play a sick riff, play a chord progression. Makuahito works like that for sure. And, um, and it's got gone more and more towards that sort of chord oriented stuff lately. And I look, tried to look up the year of foundation. They're both in 2011, uh, Finn and Makuahito. Uh, and I think given that, and they both worked in this hyper-maximalist, uh, hyper although I suppose you could also say hyper-masculine. Um, yeah, it's, that's it's sort of, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of a flam- flamboyant masculinity thing, right? Um, the, you know, the Southern European model, um, or, you know, Mexican model, um, and uh, the they they were both working in this sort of florid, elaborate maximalist style, and then they both sort of stripped back in this more rockish direction. And my strong suspicion is that there's some reciprocal influence happening there. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. Ladies and gentlemen. The devil has the fastest motorcycle in the world, and who better to present that idea to us than Beast Lurker from Chicago, with their debut record, Celestial Hench Whores of Flame, available now on Gods of War Productions. Um, like I said up front, uh, you know I'm a sucker for big, fun records that are kind of hook-driven, and... We've been doing a lot of kind of like murky and weird stuff lately on the show, so it's like let's 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 get a burst of fun in here. Um, so, <laughs> Beast Lurker uh, plays a style of sort of melodic black death metal um, that I think uh, is heavily descended from the original Swedish melodic black death scene. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, especially when you talk about kind of fun and hook-driven, is going to be Dissection. But I don't think Dissection is the primary influence here. Uh, I think they're going more deep cut. I think there's more Dawn and Sacramentum on this. Uh, possibly some of the more obscure guys from that scene, like uh, early Liars in Wait. Uh, maybe some of the mid-era At the Gate stuff. Mm. Um and additionally, uh, you know, I, I picked this up because I, I skimmed through a couple tracks and I was like, hey, these are really fun songs, let's check it out. But I think this is a record that's split into two pretty distinct halves. Uh, a lot of the really fun, hook-driven motorcycle stuff is up front, and then the back half of the record takes a turn 
towards stuff that's a little bit more complex, uh, a little bit more subtle and detailed when it comes to the riffing style. Um, and I think this is, uh, like, uh, like the Black Metal guy wrote in the notes, I think this is a band sort of trying to decide on a direction to go either full stadium black metal in a way, uh, you know, totally hook-driven, totally fun, totally enthusiastic, or, you know, maybe exploring something a little bit darker and more traditionally, as we would think of it, underground uh, over on the second half. Um, and I predicted, because uh, I wrote my notes first, uh, that the black metal guy was going to like the second half a lot more than the first, whereas I, I like both of them about the same. And uh, it turns out I was correct on that assumption, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't... Um, you wrote in your notes the Sargeistification of Swedish Black Death, and uh, that had me braced for the worst. Because <laughs> I, 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 ex- I guess I was expecting some sort of... Um, I don't know, you know, like Sacramentum via Violet the Devil in kind of pop black thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, this isn't that. Riff by riff, there's little if no Finnish influence here. But no, it no, sounds not. to me like what you meant was more Swedish black death as, as you say, Devil has the fastest motorcycle in the world music. Like, like party black metal. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't mean to draw a direct comparison to the sound mm-hmm. of something like Sarkozy, mm-hmm. but the idea of let's sort of streamline these ordinarily, mm-hmm. extremely complicated, extremely ornate songs into something more mm-hmm. approachable, structure them a little bit more like rock songs, mm-hmm. and, you know, put them into these tight five-minute packages yeah. that are going to be a little bit more listenable to people without the background in that style. Yeah, yeah, and that sort of rockification and simplification is most evident on the first half, but also on the second. Um, uh, so yeah, I would say that um, I don't dislike the first half as much as I th- like, as much as you may have thought, and as much as I, based on that description, would have expected. Oh, I, I I thought you were gonna hate the first half, but <laughs> well, I think the first I think the first song has like some straight up bad riffs in it, um, and I think there are plenty of filler riffs through the first half. Um, but like, it's hard for me to like, you know, like I, I quite disliked, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of, I I dislike Sarkrista, right? Which is the... You're primed to dislike that in the way that I'm primed to like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying like Sarkrista is like something, the band for which you coined, the devil has the fastest motorcycle in the world. (laughs) Um, and like that, that stuff does sound exactly like Sargeist and, um, and there are, uh, it sounds, it has a uniform sound all the way through. And, you know, I don't know if listeners want to hear me complain about that. They can go back to that episode, but, um, (laughs) uh, Although I should say that the guys from Sarkrista did have the, um, you know, uh, did that did have the magnanimity to uh, apparently listen to the review and leave a comment correcting something about the review, just a factual yeah, correction. Think, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that uh, I had said that they were German by way of Finland, mm-hmm. and I think they corrected me that they were German the whole time, which is weird. I think I might have read something that was actually incorrect. 
about but that. But yeah, no, just just point point being, um, uh, point being, you know, not every band is gonna is gonna do that on a review that's like fifty percent negative. So um, yeah, yeah, no, spe- they're, they're speaks well of them. Um, so, but but anyway, so like, uh, it, it doesn't. It, it's not like that for me. Like even the first half, I'm like, okay, this is fun, you know, or like this is. There, there are things that I, you know, it has sort of um, their spirit in the performance. There's um, some cool riffs. I'm obviously more of a fan of the Swedish Black Death style than Sargeist. Um, and you can hear that heavily stripped down in the first ones. Uh, um, I think in terms of the overall reference points, I think I'd say, like, Sacramentum seems right, but a specific kind of Sacramentum. Not so much the uh, glorious neoclassical harmonies part as, like, the more ignorant sacramentum numbers. So, like, blood shall be spilled. Mm. In the name of Satan, blood shall be spilled. (laughs) Right? Where they actually have that kind of half-blast style, like a a war metal blast, um, which they use throughout this record. Deceleration to eighth note blasting, which is a cool technique. Um... Uh, and also, I would say Dark Side Era Necrophobic, which sounds um, less like the sort of Dawn and High End Sacramentum stuff, or Dissection even, and more like, I, I don't know, more like the more mayhemic parts of Dissection, more like Dark Funeral, which is shared, uh, who is it, uh, Parland? Uh, mm-hmm, something um, like that. You yeah, know yeah, Necrophobic yeah. better than I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, sort of sounds like a more standard black metal version of the Swedish Black Death thing. Uh, and last, I'm thinking like Lord Belial. Um, oh, which Lord is, Belial's a great point of comparison for this. Yeah, which is again simpler, more standard black metal than some of the other stuff. I think not Liars and Waiting at the Gates because those are both um, fairly well. They're sort of. Um, have a kind of sophisticated dissonance that isn't really here, and just like a lot of lead, a lot of fancy lead work. Liars and Wade is like straight disorienting. Yeah, yeah, no, Liars and Wade is more, more technical, more on that kind of abstract side, like almost mm-hmm. butting against like Finnish death metal. But there's something certain, that's what? Oh, I was just going to say there's there's something about the way some of these riffs are presented, the sort of like odd. Uh, tempo fluctuations you'll hear mm-hmm. sometimes in this record like uh, this should be delivered faster but it's delivered slower and vice versa that kind of thing yeah and the, the way the the drummer one of the strengths of this record is the drumming which is a very cool expansion contraction fast slow uh kind of quality to it I, I i hear that i think the thing you're getting at there is just this this more ugly dissonant darker side of the swedish thing a thing that might fit with both that and the at the gates thing while being a little or not at the gates sorry or yeah at the gates um while being a little closer would be grotesque oh, okay i can see um, grotesque and then yeah. once you mentioned uh, lord belial another point of comparison grotesque by the way for our listeners being the proto at the gates band which is sort of yeah. like difficult to put a genre on it's sort of in that primordial extreme metal territory and is uh, I think the best way you could describe it is just wildly riffy and barbaric. Like, barbaric, but too many riffs. Yeah. No, I think mm. um, I think that's fair. And uh, the other, the last, like, name-check deep-cut thing mm. I was going to mention was 
because we I've never mentioned this on the show. Uh, did, have mm. you ever listened to uh, Octonomos? No, you got me. Yeah, so this was a, uh, a Swedish black metal band uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was a, a main thing from uh, Frederick Söderlund. Um, and he was in a bunch of stuff that also similarly never got huge, like, uh, you know, Puissance, uh, stuff like that. Oh, I was going to say, I looked at the picture of this guy, and I was like, well, this guy has to have fucking been in Soren. On Metal Archives, and um, <laughs> he should have been. Yeah, he's not. However, he is in Puissance with a member of Soren, and he did the uh, and, recording and he is in, for uh, Apocalypse and Zangle, Apparently, that makes sense. And the other guys in Arditi who sound, which is a martial industrial thing that's been very successful. But sounds like uh, sounds like Puissance. And shit, there was another guy in this who was in Alphamod. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting, like, like a lot of, it's sort of a band made of hired guns from the Swedish scene, who mm-hmm. uh, came together, made a few really cool, fun records that very few people have heard. Um, definitely, definitely worth looking into if you're into, like, pure trench coat era type stuff. Um <laughs> But uh, so enough uh, enough jacking off about you know, obscure Swedish stuff. Uh, never, you know, never enough. I was about to say, you know, God, will we ever stop that on this show? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go yeah. to uh, let's go to my first sample. Uh, so something you mentioned in the notes that I think is completely true, compared to Sarkrista, this is this is very self aware music. Like this, I, I think these guys understand there's an inherent goofiness, especially on the first half of this record, and they're having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Which is why, yeah, I no, I think that that is important. That is for sure important. Yeah. It's very self-aware. It's not. It's not ironic. You know, you're not supposed mm-hmm. to laugh at it, but they're having fun with you as a metalhead. You know, mm-hmm. um, so we're gonna listen to. And I chose this one because, well, it's got great riffs, but also because the title is absurd. It's it's so much longer than all the other titles on the album. And a lot of the song titles on the album are a little bit goofy and deliberately, I think. So let's listen to Muted Vociferations Hemorrhaging from a Cesspit of Condemnation, which is like, <laughs> you know, they, they got drunk and came up with a brutal death song title and made it a black metal song title. Mm-hmm. So let's just listen to the, uh, the last couple minutes of this track. And mm-hmm. I think this will express the first half of this record pretty well.
I love I love the head fakes they do on this back half. You know, you get that that wonderful uh, just sort of melodeath riff over uh, the the pseudo D beat, and you're hanging out on that for a while, and it's all good. And then they gesture towards this really ostentatious epic thing. It gets you wound up for some sort of dramatic climax, and what do they do? No, just kick back into the fun part again. It's it's like it, it's it's a fun musical joke for people that are experienced in this kind of music, and I appreciate when bands can make that kind of thing land. Like, there's no way that they didn't know exactly what they were doing with this song, you know. So, like, are you describing the stompy USBM part as the mellow death riff over a D beat? Yeah, basically. Because I, I think that's more of a Melodeth riff than anything. Yeah, but it could... I mean, I guess, especially the way it's delivered here, but um, it could also be a riff, uh, you know, a simpler version of one of the riffs off the Finn records. Um, like, I think that rhythmic inflection and... Uh, yeah, no, I think I, I think a lot about that riff. It, it even could have been on the one we just reviewed, the uh, Apparition of Sunlight. Um, yeah, but I, I I think I think this sort is of a case like, of what? Oh, go ahead. Well, no, just the sort of I mean that's a classic down 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 the just rhythmically down 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 down. Those are like fin turnarounds, and the other I I wonder if there's a direct influence because. This band is from Chicago, where Finn is from. There are no shared members, nothing I saw about that, but just, I wonder if that's actually... It's like, because those parts come through again and again on the record. Conspicuously USBM driving stompy parts. Maybe maybe this part has more of a Melodeth thing to it too, I can hear that. Especially if you fit it in with the Swedish stuff. But like, again and again on the record, there are things that play that role. Whether it's over the sort of halftime D beat or a more just like boop top boop top thing, and uh, and they're not dark thronium stomps, right? It's not as you coined on you know the sec- third terminus episode, interrupting dark throne riff. Um, <laughs> they're they're sort of melodic riffs that often carry a lot of the oomph, a lot of the epic weight of it. Um, and work as hooks, which to me seems like a very outlaw rock sort of uh, USBM thing to do. I mean, I can see that, uh, but I think a, a lot of what's happening here. Well, one, we can tell this is a case where these guys are clearly immensely talented musicians who are slumming it just slightly. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're they're just they're just having a good time with this, and also just looking at the background of the members of this band, it looks like they're kind of coming from a death metal background, and I, I think that doesn't guys, surprise me. I I think that you get a different take on black metal ideas when it's coming from a death metal background, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they're emphasizing. I, I think guys who come from that background tend to emphasize the very specific kind of mechanical processes that give them the kicks that they really like out of black metal. It's less naturalistic. It's a little bit more formalist in the way that they're, you know, designing riffs. 
but I, I think the ultimate result tends to be stuff that's a little bit more fun, a little bit more self-indulgent. It than, al- yeah. also highly emphasizes consonant melody in a way that black metal itself often doesn't. Yeah, because I, I think when, you know, you're coming from a death metal... Because I've done this myself, you know, like... Yeah, yeah no, I would it. say that, that, that it's sort of... That's a, a thing that I've said on the show about your ear in black metal. Yeah, because like we've talked about, it's like when I go to black metal, I'm going there for certain kinds of melodies because I get heaviness and I get attack and dissonance from death metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that case actually happens for a lot of death metal guys that do black metal you know they different kind of approach there we had a good example of that from the show recently uh one of your favorite records this year oh god which one the passeism oh the passeism yeah uh yeah because those are guys coming from like a brutal death background Mm -hmm. making this absurdly florid (laughs) Mm -hmm. french style black metal record yeah, and, and um, you know, like, one of our mutual favorites, Spite Extreme Wing, or, you know, possibly our mutual favorite, Spite Extreme Wing, is, uh, right, those guys were in Brutal Death Bands. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, and, and that, that sort of ground zero for the, a lot of the highly consonant approach of black metal. Not that anybody listens to them. Yeah, um, apparently fucking not. <laughs> anyway, what have, you, what have you got? So, um, oh, the last thing I want to say about that track is I'm surprised you didn't pick the Immortal Riff. Well, there's there's a lot of immortal kind of riffs dotted around this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I love that one. Yeah, it starts with an immortal riff. It's awesome. Um, uh, it's um, I, it's I just basically... really wanted that goofy fucking mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking black metal version of a teenage house party in a movie <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of riff, you know? <laughs> Dude, yeah. Like, so like, there's a riff on the first track, the one that is like straight up bad. That's something like I don't know. Something, something like that, like one of those chord like chord progression riff in the bad way, but mm-hmm. that rhythm recurs throughout the record, and some versions of it are cool, and the immortal ver- the mortal riff just is a version of that riff, and it's like, oh well, if you play it with those chords and like slow and six eight, it's sick. <laughs> um, it's, uh, and so it's like, it's like okay, I see what you did there. You got me. You, uh, so we're on um. Bellows of Infernal Bliss. Uh, And we're going to start out with something that I would have a hard time sourcing this, but let's just say it's a very standard kind of riff in modern black metal, like post-2010s black metal. But then we get this uh, really cool transition with an odd number of repetitions and uh, goes to some cool shit.
So that last chord progression, which is pretty fundamental for that whole song, it's kind of like the basic chord progression of that song, is um, that's very dark side necrophobic. Um, okay, interesting. But um, what's really interesting about that is like, um, you heard all those like there were several variations of a riff that turns around with something like dum 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 right yeah yeah and that's i i i know what you're talking about that's a i think that's a specific callback to something that's on like Emperor. the tip of my tongue oh is it is it i it mean just like in terms of the defining yeah i mean that's like i talk sometimes about the norwegian black metal always having that hall of the mountain king vibe yeah that's that's fucking uh I am the Black Wizards. Yeah, it's I am the Black Wizards, and Emperor do it again and again in various spots. Um, like I think you get variants on that in, although it's been years. Who the who the fuck knows? Somebody knows this better than me. But I think you get things that sound kind of like that in anthems too. Yeah, um, I'm sure you do. It's um, but like so that the, is the, the problem with anthems is that it's all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and the singing. Um, <laughs> Well, the singing often has really cool melodic lines. You just really have to listen around the vocals, and you know, yeah, I'm I like, know, I, I, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and whereas Bathory is like bad, good, but understands it's bad. Um, Emperor is like bad, good, but thinks it's like like good, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like with with the cleans. I mean, but um, but yeah, so like, although this is a very Swedish based record. You get that on this song, which is kind of a Norwegian move. You know, the other band, the modern band that does that a lot is Gendod. Yeah, yeah. No, Gendod definitely does. Because Gendod has, uh, is another band that has, like... I mean, Gendod is a much more straight-up kind of black metal band than these guys are. But mm-hmm. they... Gendod has this filtering of, like, really, really aggressive kind of death metal technique filtered mm-hmm. in. Um, which is something I think you hear on this, where you mentioned the uh, the the like dive up the fretboard on the mm-hmm. turnarounds on that later riff that that's that's a totally kind of death metal technique. Well, I was know. thinking, you know what it really sounds like is um you know the ultimate guilty pleasure death metal band Sulfur Aeon. <laughs> really, Sulfur Aeon. I, I, yeah, I, d- I delete my search history after I listen to that, but um it's um, <laughs> it, like. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's um, but yeah, no, they've got all these cool boom 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 riffs that are basically just like Migla played like Behemoth. Um, yeah, but they would they wouldn't have the just like retarded thrashy 
like main body to it, you know. Oh, oh, oh no, they they wouldn't. And also this riff, this version, they do the sweep up that's like highly consonant and and kind of technical and weird sounding and glassy. And then they drop into the B version and they turn it around in the same way with the Emperor turnaround. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's cool. And you know, I think overall one thing that stands out about this band is. It's got the death metal guys doing highly melodic, catchy black metal. Basically, death metal guys hearing black metal as pop and playing it as pop. Um, but, like, they seem to have... They seem to have searched for, like, legitimate ways to bridge between death metal and black metal, right? Like, they've gone... Mm-hmm. They, 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 they listen to deep cuts, and they've gone to this Swedish melodic black death stuff and to specific parts of it that are going to scratch the itch and cross that line, rather than say, okay, let's, like, like do some... Um, you know, let, let's, let's imitate Sargeist or, or whatever, right? Yeah, well, this this in particular is kind of interesting as a song because, like, even just listening to that fragment again now, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is this is a song that was jammed out in one day in the practice mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. because it's all it's all basically one riff and variations on it. They were just like, oh, what's the cool part after this? Well, it's the yeah. thing that naturally follows. You but know? it has a theme and variation vibe that's very different from Cookie Cutter black metal in similar styles. Uh, it doesn't sound just like riff slideshow, um, like like because in part because it's all woven from one one kind of idea, like and that's in some way more sophisticated, right? Uh, and also just in general, like I was saying about the stompy part you liked with in the last one, like this one literally has a D beat, and um, yeah. those D beat parts count. They're not throwaways. Here the riffing is a lot more dissonant and emperory, but like. Throughout the record, they often hang a lot of weight on those, which is, again, quite unusual. Yeah, I, I think this is a case where, especially when you get into some of the subtleties of these songs, mm-hmm. the there, it's it's easy to think of death metal guys playing black metal as inherently kind of inferior to the you know the authentic reality or something, but the mm-hmm. reality is. A lot of the best black metal bands nowadays have some sort of death metal background. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the advantages for these guys is that the things that they're adopting off of Swedish black metal are coming from surprisingly deep cut ideas, some of the more subtle oh. concepts mm-hmm. within the Swedish black metal scene. So let's go to, uh, on the second half of the record, Pawns of the Fetid King. Um, and. Yeah, this is a streamlined version of Swedish Black Death, but it's streamlining very strange parts of that sound. So you're going to hear some riffing that's like the folkiest parts of maybe uh, Where Dead Angels Lie by Dissection, Mm -hmm. um, but also just played with in their own style. And I'm interested, because you're more versed in that style than me, what this reminds you of here. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And uh, while we were listening to that, that big, glorious tremolo riff, um, you said, I, <laughs> I was like asking, I was like, so what's this from? And you were like, I know. And so what is it? Yeah, so the one that's basically just like five chords in a row, but they're just like really sick chords. Um, <laughs> that is like Thy Primordial. Oh, really? Uh, okay. That's which something is I barely know about. The the hidden third in the triad, including Dawn and Nidan, Nidan Division 187, uh, who, you know, we talk about both those bands a lot on this show, but Thy Primordial shares members with both. Um and strangely, despite the fact that the riffing is absolutely outstanding and in a similar spirit, distinct but in a similar spirit, um, does not have the same guitarist. Oh, wait, does... Yeah, yeah, okay, so it is the drummer of Nidin, um, and uh, the drummer of Nidin and Dawn. It only shares a, it shares a drummer with both bands, and then it shares a bassist with Nidin. Or the bassist is also a Nidin. Maybe he played guitar there, I don't know. Um... Uh, but yeah, the guitarist is not in any other of the really famous bands. Um, he, uh, and he's got his own style that's sort of demanding, classically informed, but different from Dawn, different from Nidan. Uh, and it sounds the most like what modern melodic black metal has turned out to be. Hmm. Um, I'll have to go back and you, check some of that stuff I out. was listening to, yeah, I was listening to uh, At the Worlds of Untrodden and Wonder the other day. I'm thinking, I really need to tell the death metal guy about this album. Um, yeah, it's like it's like it, how I had never heard the Vinterland album until you mentioned it to yeah. me. Yeah, it's, it's your favorite, yeah, you're, exactly. Another thing on favorite Swedish black death that you've, you've never heard. But, like, um, it, I hadn't heard it until recently either, Um a uh, a dude we're on a Discord with had uh, mentioned it a while back, and I was like, "Shit, this is uh, really good." Um, I think it's one of those things you ignore because it just the name sounds like a bad gothic metal band. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, but like, it's it's really sick. Um, and so this also has this record. I don't think generally reminds me of them. But in the sense, maybe, that it is more slower moving, as in more just like big chord, big chord, big chord, slower moving and more sort of um, hook forward Swedish Black Death. I can see how it fits with that. But then, um, and then that folky stuff is uh, really cool. Yeah, and the folky stuff in particular interested me because obviously whenever I hear something like that, my brain goes to Vindir. But I was wondering if you had a more appropriate reference for it. You know, honestly, um, I mean, I think like you're right. Sure, the folky parts and you know where dead angels lie might be a thing. Um, if you wanted to go within Sweden, there are a couple, a few parts on Dawn. There are some parts on Dawn records that are kind of like that, which we'll get into with my next sample. But um, I think you're right with Windir. I was like literally just trying to think of what that sounded like as we were talking. And I was like, oh, that's just Windir, isn't it? Yeah, because I think the, the center point of this band, and maybe that's something we've been talking around, is that the center point for these guys compared to a lot of bands is... The center point here is like 97, 98, more mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. like 92, 93. Yes, when we say sweet, yeah, a lot of, when we say Swedish melodic black death, 
in some ways, that's just where the momentum went in black metal in general after 95. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, but going off that, uh, you've got something for our, uh, our final sample. What is that? Um, yeah, also just to clarify for listeners, of course, Vindir is Norwegian, but is a post-95 band. It, it, um, has, it has more continuity with the Swedish scene, even though it's Norwegian. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and the Vindir successor bands almost could be Swedish. Um, yeah. But the... Um, but yeah, so the last one, speaking of that, is uh, the final track, Noctivagent Wisdom, Night Wandering Wisdom. Uh, I think this is uh, I think this is the best track, although the last one's pretty cool. Um, and uh, this really, it's like the album gradually sounds more and more actually like the Swedish stuff it's cribbing from. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Like... Not without, not not cloning it, you know, not and not cloning it, those particular bands, but it more like revs up closer and closer to that caliber. So here, here, here we go. It seems like there's a, a couple threads on this record that we want to be expanded on. Um, these the sort of like big chorded riffs, you know, the mm-hmm. ones that are simpler in terms of notes but more complicated in terms of harmony. Definitely want more of that. And I think a lot of the kind of punky stuff is really good too and should be expanded upon. And I I, I think you've got a similar sentiment. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, again, that, that, that 
punky part was awesome and um, uh, sets it apart from the Swedish stuff, um, but uh, but it's harmonically written in a way that is not alien to the Swedish stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, the sense of melody in the in the chords jamming over that, like, you know, it's not a D beat, but it's a skank beat. You know, let's say halftime D beat or whatever, uh, is um is pretty consistent with the harmonies on the rest of the record. Uh, and um, and then on the other hand, yeah, and and that chorded, yeah, that's sort of like simple but. Yeah, it's that, that chorded riff, right? That was just um, basically just a sequence of chords, but each chord in the progression is, there's a meaningful change in each one of them under that blasted riff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, they, it's very, that's that's like Needon Division type shit. Yeah, but th- there's a part of it that like hints at or threatens at sort of modern sort of triumphant hyper hyper melodic black metal and then it just sort of it it sort of goes away it or it it changes direction in the middle of it uh i'll try to hum it dum 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 it's like da 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 ba bum and you think it's gonna go like really big consonant resolution and then just slides down in this sort of Swedishy way. No, it's um, got that it's got got that cool like holsts the planets vibe to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it ends up being it seems like it's turning towards a big obvious post Sargeist Miglutch payoff. And then it like by incorporating that and moving in another direction, ends up as a very sophisticated riff. Um, even though rhythmically, chord-wise, it's very simple. Um, and yeah, and before that, just the, the basic two riffs on that, though. You know, any the section starts off, right, with this sort of like halftime double bass roll mosh thing with like... Right. Yeah. Um, and then throws into this sort of folky chugged out part. That is very dawn. Um, not quite quotation level, but like it seems like the first one is a lot like the kind of more death metally ideas on Nair Solon, the f- f- full length, the first full length, mm-hmm. and then um, there's some kind of folky folk thrashy parts on that record too, but. Um, there's this sick song on Slaughter Sun that has chugs in it called Falcula, which is, I think, my favorite song by them, and that second riff is very Falcula. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this track is... It has all the poppiness of the... Fr- uh, you know, how, how do you think about this? Would, would you say that, like... Would you agree that the second half has all the good poppiness of the first half? Uh, to a degree... Um, mm-hmm. I it, it doesn't have the most like crazy indulgent moments of the first half, but I think mm-hmm. the essence is carried through. Certainly has a lot of good. It certainly has good hooks. I mean, yeah, maybe. Okay, maybe if you threw the immortal riff in that song or something.
little trip uh, to the old days with Thy Primordial. We're back with Ild. Uh, Fonden's Lichtischere uh, on Screaming Skull Records. Um, this is going to be a challenging record to talk about in general. Um, I, I think I really like it, but it is a black metal record that doesn't really have a lot of the things people usually look for in black metal. You know, it's... It, this is not a record that's extremely riffy, but it's also not heavily textured in the way you might think of more ambient or droning black metal. It's it's just kind of diffuse and wandering. Um, honestly, I, I we'll just have to go back and forth. I mean, what did you think of this? Because this is this is a very strange, very interesting record to me. Uh. Yeah, I would say it is also strange and interesting. Um, it, or I would also say it is strange and interesting. Uh, um, I, like, I think I like it. I was listening to it, you know, like, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've, I was in the woods for a couple days, so I came back today and I had to listen to this one pretty quick before the show, and, um... In that you context, to it in the, you should have listened to it in the woods, right? <laughs> I didn't have reception, um, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I came back to it today and um, and you know had to listen to it very quickly. And in that context, I felt like okay, this is kind of washing over me, right? But given that it's supposed to, it's hard to hold that against it, you know. But it's very. And so when I tried to think of, okay, well, you know, listen for the parts that, you know, just pick, find whichever parts stand out. The parts I picked were exactly the same as the parts you had already picked. <laughs> it's like, um, the I, I picked the two big quote-unquote moments on the record. <laughs> right, which themselves, like, and, and yeah, the second one, I, I had already seen that you... The second one I picked and realized you had picked something on, on Hoyt Laker Flamina, I picked something for the end of that track and then checked your sample i had a sneaking suspicion and i checked your sample thing, and realized it? it's exactly the same <laughs> um so it seemed this is also a record that like it um it's highly repetitive but not in the kind of uniform 16 of a 16 of b 16 of a 16 of D way that we might expect for some droning kind of DSBME stuff. Um, uh, it's. And then when I started looking for different things to pull, I really started getting at the, some of the subtlety in the composition that you had found in your own way. Uh, um, you know, I think you're right. It's kind of like DSBM. It's. Uh, a lot of these are just Norwegian black metal chords, but very slowed down um, in a way that sort of changes the inflection. Uh, and one reference point, and you know, in terms of you've pointed out, has a folky vibe to it too, as well as a DSBM thing. Um, the only melodic parallel I can really come up with is Gendod. Um, I I was thinking of Gandode a lot when I listened to this. 
Yeah, like, in the sense that um, their earlier stuff, um, before Ner Saren, uh, let, let me make sure I, I've got the title, yeah. Before, sorry, I was just thinking of the big single off the track. Before Kriegsdöger uh, and Angrep um, on Ned Stingning and some of their other earlier EPs and demos, or demos, rather, they had something that sounded a lot more like a DSBM aggressive Norwegian black metal as aggressive DSBM colored by these kind of epic folk melodies, right? Um, yeah. And then after it gets more sort of straight up aggressive and martial. Um, but, um, and I think, I think you have some intel that they're going to a more overtly depressive sound soon. Yeah, I was, well, I was talking to uh, one of the guys from Gendo late last year. You know, he was talking to me about the review, and he liked it, and he said, well, you know, I don't know how you're going to feel about the next one, because we're going really slow on the next one. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Angrep was one of my favorite records of last year, so I'm, I'm down for whatever they try to do. Um, but I think that what Gendod accessed on Angrep is, I mean, at least aesthetically similar to what Ild is doing here, because... You know, because Angrep, the cover of that was like a 1910s, 1920s painting from a Norwegian artist. And then mm-hmm. the cover of this record by Ild is, it looks like a, uh, a polished up photograph of like a, an old like Norwegian peasant from like around mm-hmm. the same time. Like sitting in his, you know log cabin with you know a tea kettle set up and you know some logs burning um and i gotta say i don't think anything conveys the mood of this record better than the cover it's an incredible choice for the record (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it's um if gendod is about it's cold my feet hurt and there's a wolf in front of me ild is it's cold my feet hurt and I have to do even more work on my cabin after I have my tea to prepare mm-hmm. for the winter. You mm-hmm. know, it's... And uh, something you yeah. mentioned, which is... What? Oh, go ahead. No, no. After you, sir. Well, I was just going to say, something you said, this is kind of like DSBM, but it's definitely not accessing the same emotional wavelength that you would expect from DSBM. None of this scans to me as like sad or yes. depressive. It's just kind of like it's like it's it's like gloomy, it's kind of glum. It's a little morose, but it's more like just because you realize how hard the winter is going to be and you don't have enough bread, so you're going to have to come up with a solution before the blizzards really hit. You know, it's yeah, yeah. You said in the notes, stern and utilitarian Norwegian, um, and you know some other words for that might be stoic or resolute. I, I, there, there's I think a, that there's, there's a lot of suffer. There's a lot of suffering in this music, but it's being born. Uh, it's being born nobly, not in a heroic noble, not in a yes, sort of like, yes. not in a not in a sort of striving through suffering to great deeds thing. More into sort of both the 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 quiet 
the, the quiet strength of spirit of, you know, the peasantry or whatever, right? Yeah, it's like, well, there's no use complaining about it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, uh, exactly. Let's, let's, see what, let's see which of these yeah. roots in the forest yeah. I can eat, you know? Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's certainly not I feel so disconnected from the world or um, girls are mean or... Uh, it's very impersonal. And, and I, I mean, I don't, I also, you know, there's obviously DSBF that has non-trivial versions of both of those sentiments. I'm being a little satirical. Uh, but, um, yes, this is, um, you know, this is music that is meaningfully connected to the world. It's just not a particularly uh, pleasant or pleasurable world. Well, it's not, it's not, well, that's the thing. It's like, it's not about, uh... I think this is music about a protagonist in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a character, but mm-hmm. it's a character seen through the lens of a narrator commenting on him. It's like <laughs> I imagine some sort of like nature documentary about this like Norwegian peasant circa 1907, and it's like, oh, the peasant must dig around for roots in the forest before the permafrost sets in. You know, there actually are a couple really interesting... I saw something like that about, you know, like old, like pre-war... I, I don't know, like the last... I, there's some really good documentary about that, about like like the last remnants of peasant Europe between World War One and World War Two. But oh, okay. uh, it's... I, I This is a thing, but I have no idea what it's called. I'm going to have to figure out what it is. Oh, definitely let me know, because that's right up my alley. I like mm-hmm. I like everything grueling and dour, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so to describe this musically, though, so it's kind of a, a slower mid-pace for the most part. It is black metal that's heavily folky. I, I feel like the closest comparison would be like a really negged-out version of the first Haliaruna record. <laughs> like in, instead of being around the campfire singing songs with your bros you're around the campfire and it's like well I can't wait to split this one flagon of water between oh, people yeah <laughs> maybe not in terms of the guitar style but in terms of like the mood I hear that oh well, well the guitar style is worth talking about in and of itself because yeah. I, I, I well, think there's well we better we better sample it yeah, well, yeah, you go ahead. You got something off the first one. All right. So uh, this is Becken Luchter Yarn. Um, and uh, here are uh, here's the whole style of the record in the first riff, which is something you said last week. I um, I'm uh, riffing on it. <laughs>
you know, listening to that sample, I just I just realized a great way to summarize this record. It's like, so you listen to so many Norwegian bands, and they always have this, like, inflection of beauty on the landscape mm-hmm. of Norway. You know, it's like, uh, you know, look at the f- fjords, look at the mountains, look at the, uh, the, the frozen streams. Mm-hmm. This is like, oh, what if you actually had to live there? What if the fjords blow because you can't grow any crops in them during the winter? You know, it's like... What, oh, what yeah, the, this is... What about the harsh reality of the landscape, you know? Uh, this is very Knut Hamsun, I think. Um, he was a uh, Norwegian sort of, like, late romantic, sort of transitional romantic to modernist novelist. Um my buddy was reading something by him a while back and it had this, you know, awesome part about just the sort of uh, interminable boredom of living in the Norwegian countryside and, like, the the misery of peasant life, the blinkered narrowness of the bourgeois life in the little towns. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know which one it was. I'm trying to figure out which one it was. Uh... Might have been, um, um, novels. Nah, I don't know. But, um, but anyway, uh, it's, you know, he, he writes a lot about rural life and peasants. Um, and how it's, it sucks. It's not like a romantic thing, you know? It's like. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of de-romanticized vision of rural life. Um, oh, and he's coming from the time period we're talking about, from, like, the late 1800s to, like, the 1910s. No, that, that's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... So, yeah, I think, um... Oh, yeah, like, the same time period as that painting that Gendaud used, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, is there a new generation of Norwegian bands that has gotten out of the rut by focusing on a, like, different period of Norwegian culture? Possibly. I mean, I I think this guy is accessing it more directly than almost anyone else. Like, this is... I mean, this is depressive music, but not in the way you think of it in terms of black metal. You know, because black metal is romantic music inherently. This is decidedly unromantic music. (laughs) I don't think black metal has to be... Uh, uh, yeah, I guess I would... There are things I could say... It depends on what you mean by that word. In the conventional sense of the word, maybe. Um, in the artistic movement sense, I'd say no. It's sort of... Uh, or it's sort of very much like late romantic stuff or the turn away from romanticism um, towards something more objective and cold, I think. Um, but but I, I hear what you mean. Like, in terms of, like, black metal makes shit sound cool. This doesn't make shit sound cool. No, it's like... Um, and it's like you said, you know, at the beginning of the sample, like... Oh, yeah, just this, like, trudging kind of... There's, like, a there's a doom quality wait, to this yeah, music. Wait, you, know? you know, I guess, wait, what we should do, really, is... We, I, I should say the things I was going to say about the sample. Sorry, we're recording this very late at night, and at this point we're losing discipline. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I lost power earlier today. But uh, the, the curse continues. Um, <laughs> but um, this... The riff at the beginning is interesting, because it starts from the big fjord riff, but only, like, two chords of it. Da, da, 
da, da, da. And that sort of like big drop is like an early enslaved drum thing, like a Viking Lairveldi thing, which we were yeah. talking about last week, right? Um, it's also on the Toke records. It's like, uh, here, you know, here's this big expansive thing, and you can, uh, oh, and uh, Gendo uses it all the time, things like yeah. that. Um, and, uh, and then the second half of the riff uh, is just this weird sustained chord with some root note changes and some nasty depressive dissonance in it. Mm -hmm. And then you get a few reps of a riff that's echoing it in exactly, pretty much very closely in terms of the rhythms, but only the, only the dissonant ideas and starting on a chord that's just sort of clanging in the way that an ill jarn or a thorns chord is. Um, and then, uh, and then that throws back into a single repetition of a riff that echoes the first phrase, but like winding and even more dissonant. And then we're back at the beginning. Yeah. It's a really weird structure. There's, and that's a structure that happens across this record. These like circuitous loops back to a main riff. Uh, uh -huh. Not like... Uh, you know, not like A B A B or A B C A. It's usually like A B C D and then back to A. You know, very strange kind of wandering structures that don't. You know, they're they're definitely not structured in the way that rock or even like heavy metal songs are, or you know, black metal songs for the most part, or black metal songs because they're not uh, they're not through written. You know, they're not totally linear, but it's like you start at the peak of the mountain, you wind your way down the path, and then where do you end up? Another goddamn mountain. And you're not stoked about it. You're just like, oh, well, fuck, this is the only way the path goes. So. Yeah, the song structures wander and the riffs kind of wander, right? Because like that first riff is just like, okay, you know, it's like, it's not really a head fake riff. It's not a head fake, it just turns out to be a different riff than the one you thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of that, let's go to uh, Hoyt Lecker Flamene. Um, and here's an example of the ABCD riff sequence um, that will eventually lead back to A when the vocals kick in, but something about this record is the guitars are always wandering. They're always kind of swaying. They're somber. Um, and I think the big thing with this is there's always a, a single voice that's kind of, you know, a torchlight on the dark path, and that's the lead guitar. Hmm. The lead guitar provides a thread to follow throughout these songs, um, because a lot of the times in the rhythm guitars, the individual riffs will adjoin in very strange ways not like uh, super artificial or inorganic, but very unusual kinds of turnarounds to join ideas together. But the lead guitar will etch out a thread for you to follow, just like that winding mountain road. Um, so uh, I, I think this is a good example of this.
You know, I think you said a, a thing that's important to understanding this record, which kind of, you know, relates to things we've been saying about it, which is a lot of the the DNA melodically in this can also be found in a band like Take. Um, mm-hmm. But where Take is ecstatic and excited, it, it sees the landscape as full of potential... This record takes a lot of the same melodic ideas and twists them just slightly, and it sees the landscape almost as like a cage or a tomb of some kind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, and that's the thing, they're recognizing the same fundamental features of the Norwegian landscape, but the internal interpretation of them is completely different. Uh, because like a Take record, you know, these songs have these wandering, organic kind of structures. Like you're making your way through the landscape, reaching back towards a central idea. But where in Take, like I said, it's got this heroic quality to it. For Ild, it's got this just kind of like miserable atmosphere. Um, and that's fascinating to me. Uh, I I love the idea that he's reaching towards the core, in a sense, of Norwegian black metal. But what he's interpreting from those ideas is completely different. Uh, I think that's one of the things that makes this record really special. I think I like this a lot. I don't know what kind of fucking situation I'm going to listen to it a lot in. But I think I'm going to keep coming back to this one and absorbing ideas from it. Because I think this is really touching on a mood that is extremely rare in Black Metal. And I think it's worthy of worthy of listening just because of that. So, um... Do we want to go to your next sampler line? Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> we can jump right into it. I didn't know if you had any comments for that one. Oh, um... Eh, nothing I'm not gonna say, uh... Nothing I'm not gonna say on mine. I mean, you know, like, I was gonna say something about the folk melodies or something, but I, I, th- I think you basically covered it. Okay. Well, we'll just go to mine, just because it's chronological. And I, you'll definitely have something to say about this, because now mm-hmm. we're gonna get into the kind of, like... Nordic shamanism section of the record. Uh, there's some really fascinating sort of pagan ideas etched out here, but mm-hmm. distant pagan. You know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, if if we assume this is a record about, so to speak, the 1900s or 1910s in Norway, that's uh, that's a, a vanishing memory of, of the people in Norway. Um, but it's still kind of atavistically comes out again. So let's listen to Sivstaka Mira, um, where you're going to hear a burst of wonderful clean vocals um, of a very different kind and in a different context than you'll typically hear.
So kind of like the, uh, the clean vocals on Apparition of Sunlight uh, earlier in the, uh, in the episode, they've got this, um, you know, roughly hewn quality. You know, the, this is a little bit more barbaric than what you heard there. But it's also just reaching back to a uh, what I think of as a sense of a real paganism. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's not, you know, I, we have a tendency to, you know, again, using the term approximately romanticize eras of po- paganism, you know. Um, but it's like, you know, <laughs> back in that era, you, it was still cold and your feet still hurt, you know, <laughs> as I like mm-hmm. to say. Um but it's like it's also it's got this glorious melodic quality, but it is strained. It is rough. It is this barbaric yawp, you know, delivered into the fjords. I I just think the way this guy examines black metal and its constituent landscapes is really fascinating. Yeah, that's um. I, I hear what you mean about that sounding sort of authentically pagan. It sounds more like an incantation than someone's idea of like, uh, you know, Viking singing, right, via mm-hmm. Windir or whatever, um, and um, or even via Bathory, right, uh, which is just more of a heavy metal kind of thing. But um, uh, it is. It's a little like Wardruna, to be honest. The more sort of authentic, you know, Wardruna sometimes sounds kind of secretly poppy, but um, can sound like more of the uh, reptile-brained parts of Wardruna, more like the first record. But what it really sounds like is on the first Wardruna record, Gall was one of the vocalists, um, and the band that does this mo the the sort of that really sounds like Norse sorcery as, say, like, I think people now think it was kind of practiced. I talked about those Neil Price books the other the other week or whatever about Viking Viking magic. Um, or wait, oh, I talk about, never mind, I mentioned it briefly in the interview that hasn't been released yet. Um, but um, on, uh, with the Moldeon and uh, Robes of Snow. But um, there are... Uh, Sounds kind of like, if, if we're thinking of Norse magic as related to shamanic practices in Siberia and stuff like that, right? Um, and involving weird stuff about spirit possession and, and, and trance and all that, then these vocals sound a lot like that, and they sound a lot like Treldom, uh, which was, you know, Gaul's pre-Gorgoroth band. Um, Great band, yeah. R- really good band. Um extremely pagan, extremely punky before that was the ideas of how that had to sound were formalized doing like sort of major key stuff way before it was cool. Um, uh, really ahead of its time. Um, so this, that's kind of like a Treldom thing and Treldom also is like, this is, uh, not just pagan as sort of uh, glorious, um, you know, he, uh, you know, glorious viking whatever right but um as sort of you know dude in animal skins hopping around in a fire hopping around a fire right mm-hmm. um and um that, that's pretty cool and you know like the notes of i like what you say about the sort of like memories of paganism right because if this if the, if the core period for this record really is like late 19th early 20th century 
then that is a period where Norwegians are starting to become, again, really interested in their Viking and pagan heritage as part of the, you know, the, the later part of the romantic, you know, romantic, uh, romantic national revival and all that. So there's a, um, so the note, so it, it makes sense that like memories of that would be filtering in. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I like the, I like the vibe because I, I really think you touched on it that Gendo. Oh, here, oh, wait, here, real quick example. Um, the, the wild hunt of Odin, which is the painting on the cover of Bloodfire Death, mm-hmm. right? That's 1872 by Norwegian. Okay. Right. By the Norwegian, by uh, Peter Nikolai Arbo. Um, and that is part of this sort of folkloric revival that was happening in this time. Anyway, continue. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I think that the idea that maybe there's a revival of a certain period of Scandinavian history, this this liminal space in the early modern era, mm-hmm. um, that accesses these pagan ideas that we're all familiar with, but in a very different way from a very different perspective, is really cool. And I, I think there's a lot to dig out of that. And, like, I, I, I keep coming back to that Gendot record, because I think that this record and that one, Angrep, pair really well together. Yeah. So, um... I guess this also draws out the... I guess, you know, there are some riffs on this, I guess, like the initial ones I sampled, that are... There's a lot on this that is also kind of thornsy, just really dissonant and sawing, and scra- or I guess scraping, because it's slow. Um, but a lot of our samples emphasize these more folky notes. This last one has it for sure. Um, this is from the final track. I was looking for where to start this sample, and only after a good amount of looking did I realize that the whole song is just this riff. <laughs> um, the only variation, it's just a very long riff or riff sequence. And the only variation comes from these sort of short pauses between each iteration of it. So this is from Vugavisa.
Are you still going, man? I'm still going. No, man. I uh, I, I think I may have clicked on the wrong spot, but the uh, the truth is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, what that reminded me of, uh, with just that like constant slow looping, was a uh, Verdunkelm. And the sort of the way I think maybe also you're thinking about the way the bass is falling in that. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of stuff off uh, Einblick and Qualenfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, so we've talked about how you know wandering the structures are and wandering the riffs are, but uh, that is just a fascinating sort of weird riff um if we want to talk about the riff you're really talking about the whole thing that repeats between each pause um and that has a kind of a b format you know um and there's there's like five notes five notes five notes or and, and a few few more or something like that in the first variation and then the second works works kind of like that too um but yeah so if you break it up it's actually something like a b c c prime a b d and then the d riff just kind of continues and trails off over the uh over the part where there would be we would expect like a a fourth part of that second phrase where you think maybe it does a variation like a B prime, a variation on B from, you know, the, the second part of the, each phrase. So it's like A, B, C, C prime, A, B, D trail off. Um, and each of those little micro phrases is already takes his time on. So there's a kind of, um, you know, yeah, uh, riffs within riffs, um, and it's a little bit disorienting, and it is closer to intuitive, folky ways of writing melody than a lot of metal melodies are. Um, it's, um, you could blast that out as a Gendot riff. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, like literally those notes with blast beats, um, it would be a Gendot riff. It would be sinister and aggressive, maybe a little melancholy underneath, but it would sound like Norwegian black metal in the classic sense. Um, but this temp, right? But at this tempo, it's just miserable and hypnotic. You know, maybe what it is is kind of like uh, down drunk. <laughs> yeah i get that yeah back in the day i had a, a swedish friend who was great fun to drink with until like the fourth beer you know and then everything goes to hell <laughs> everything goes to hell you know still a great guy good to talk to but my god you know um uh yeah just um and uh you know um and, and yet even so there's a kind of resolute quality to it like Shit, it's 4 p.m., I'm drunk, and I have to finish tilling this field. Hey, all! This is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. 
after uh, staggering dead drunk through the fields of rural Norway in the early 20th century, we are back with something completely different. <laughs> A record of, I, you know, uh, self-described harsh post-industrial by 8-Hour Animal. Uh, this is Resigner, and it's out now on Sentient Ruin, which is a, a label that has done a lot of interesting Black Death stuff that's very in touch with industrial and noise. Sentient, as far as Sentient Ruin stuff we've covered, I mean, that sort of resonates with this. Uh, what was that totally... I mean... Well, this this doesn't really narrow it down. It was, was that totally sucked one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's the only other uh, Centurion Ruin Laboratories no. thing we've covered. Mm -mm, mm -mm. There was oh. that kind of cool uh, cavern, oh, like... cavern slash war metal thing that 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 you brought on. Um, oh God, which can't, one? can't remember it. It was just <laughs> it was sort of like Aosoth but simpler. Um, I'll figure it out while you talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've we've covered a few sentient ruin things, and uh, they are often characterized by, at the bare minimum, they make the most of the noise potential allowed by modern beefy sort of technological Black Death production, um, and at the maximum, they really are sub like evaporated sores, uh, substantially influenced by the way that industrial music is structured. Uh, th this is a little further. This really is um, uh, noisy industrial music. Oh, uh, it was a uh, Nove Militia. Novi Militia, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, very, very blasty, heavy French Black Death that's not really electronic, but still, yeah, has that... Very mechanical. Yeah. Very mechanical, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so this band is straight up mechanical. Uh, and um, it's industrial, not in the sense of Abigor or Bloodhouse Nord, but really in the sense of a number of different industrial subgenres. You're, you're trying to communicate to our fans that, oh no, this is actual like electronic music. Oh wait, sorry, yes, this is actually not a metal album. So, um, we've <laughs> so, um, we've, we've been meaning to, uh, meaning to, you know, we've been trying to branch out a little into stuff that's not black or death metal, you know, so we've been covering that sort of more, more extreme heavy metal stuff, and uh, death metal guy and I both like things in this sort of more extreme electronic vein. Um, not exactly the same things. Um, you tend to lean more towards sort of power electronics and harsh noise, right? Yeah, a lot of power electronics, a lot of harsh noise. Um, some like, and then in the more like pure electronic side, uh, a lot of like break core, speed core stuff. I think you are a little bit closer to the root of like industrial as it's understood now which is something i'm i'm really don't know a lot about apart from what you've told me 
Yeah, yeah. We basically have 50-50 split on extreme electronic music. We, we, we cover the whole spectrum of it, but we, there's very little overlap. It, yeah, it's, it's like sort of different for like, we, you know, he, he knows a lot about black metal. I know a lot about death metal, but like there's, you know more about black metal than I know about death metal. But like there's a considerable amount of overlap either way. Um, not so here. <laughs> um, um, you know the the, uh, the electronic the, stuff the Venn, to is completely separate <laughs> the Venn diagram I don't know where the Venn diagram neatly inters- there's got to be like it's got to intersect at one point but we'll have to oh, figure it's out Venetian snares would. I don't like Venetian snares you don't? no what? that shit gives me seizures that's why it's so, great <laughs> I, I appreciate it from a distance um, <laughs> okay. It's, anyway, it's, um, but um, <laughs> what where, where we come together is grudging respect for Prurient. Prurient, <laughs> <laughs> or oh, well, do, uh, do you like White House or um, appreciate from a distance, but in a much more enthusiastic way. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we've got no true overlap. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> um. So um, it's. So so basically, like this is um, integrates a lot of different strains of the industrial lineage, um, and uh, overall, like metal, you can tell this guy listens to metal. Uh, he also listens to Terminus. This is in fact a fan submission. Um, the most important thing <laughs> that he yes, listens to uh, is Terminus. Yeah. Terminus, yes, the most important influence, <laughs> Terminus. Uh, um, but, um, there's sort of riffs here, and very often the tonal center is coming from guitar or bass rather than synth, as far as I can hear. Either a very deep, you know, very, uh, down-tuned guitar, or kind of Ride for Revenge-style bass, or something like that. Um, lots of Ride for Revenge, and I think you would say Bestial Burst in general kind of sound here. Um, yeah. But, um, but like, um, you, you know, so, so there's some metal ideas about riff and there are some metal ideas about song structure that inflect this. Um, but, um, really, yeah, overall it is drawing from, uh, it's hard to say, you know what? We should get immediately to samples for this. I like. I'm looking at my notes for this, and there's just one really dense paragraph <laughs> that, um, like, at the top of it, that like I'm not going to read off because that'd be insane. So, um, let, let's listen to some of it, and we'll get into it. All right. Uh, well, I got the, I've got one of the first ones. Oh, um, or you know you what? Go? Let me let me see. Yeah, since since I'm gonna try to introduce some of the basic things about this, let let me grab this one. Sure. Uh, so this is um this is from pushing myself down. You know, there there you go. There's a um uh although this does not sound anything like nine inch nails, there's a nine inch nails song title for you. <laughs>
So, um, that was kind of the Dark Throne part. <laughs> well, if it, I think especially after listening to your samples off this song again, it's like, oh, this is much more of a metal record on a second pass than uh, maybe I initially listened to it as. Yeah, so what, how, how so? How, how are you thinking? It, it it is like you said it in an abstract way this is very riff based music and i think that's one of the things that makes it distinct from a lot of electronics actually oh apropos of nothing i figured out where's our crossover our crossover is an empty set oh true yeah yeah, yeah. stuff like that for sure yeah minimal industrial techno is where where the venn diagram briefly crosses over um but uh no it's like uh, there's there's tones there's melody there's harmony to this music it's produced in very strange ways through a combination of like noisy synths maybe guitar and uh just like very full kind of beat oriented stuff but there's definitely melodies and ideas here that are kind of derived from stuff like godflesh or skin chamber just filtered through a more modern understanding of this style yeah and um yeah so like there's yeah that first riff could definitely be like a, a sort of a godflesh riff um and and even like yeah it starts out what? Kind of a, a later Godflesh riff, like a, exactly. a selfless riff. Yeah. Go spread your rings. Yeah. Which is you're, one of the best a, songs you're... to play on the jukebox at the bar. I was about to say your, your bar clearing song on the jukebox. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, that, um, so, so yeah, later Godflesh, and that, that first riff, dom, 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 dom. Right, it's kind of it's almost it's kind of major key. It's big and open. It's kind of yeah, like kind of, that. Uh, it's like a club melody. It's kind of chill. Yeah, it's kind of like a club melody. It's kind of ch- it's got like chill, chill dystopian sublime. You know that part of Blade Runner where um, where I can't remember her name. Is it Kusanagi or something? Where she's uh, our our protagonist is like doing work in a cafe and like looks out a great looks out a window through the drizzle and there are like these giant uh there's this big sort of like ferry boat uh making its way through the too narrow canal in the rain yeah it's kind of like that yeah yeah um and um uh it has a very it has a mood Uh, a band that might be a reference point for this i don't know would be lasuria which is sort of applying coil and coil and death in June type mystic post-industrial vibes to a much more urban kind of cyberpunk thing, um, and um, so so it has that kind of mood. But um, then what follows? The riff gradually gets eaten, <laughs> um, <laughs> or it starts getting uh, blotted out. You know, um, and the first, the, uh, the first, the, the sort of the beat drops in, we get like what sounds like a drop, but it's still like slow. Um, and the bass starts interfering with the, uh, with the guitar there. Um, 
and then there's another layer to the drop, like more cymbals drop in, uh, and the main melody starts getting eroded away more and more to the, where it starts being more and more centered just on the root. And then finally, we get the... turns out there's the actual drop, which is just... Daka, 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 daka. You know, like an embellished, an embellished industrial version of that, right? It's more kind of, um, you know, uh, almost like like a rhythmic noise thing or something. Uh, <clears throat> but um, it's uh, it, but like rhythmically, it's basically like a dark throne thing, uh, sort of thrashing, downbeat, heavy stuff, and the riff is just turned into a single note and it slides you expect it's going to loop back up to another repetition of that big kind of uh that, that the major big kind melody, yeah. the big melody you ex just as you expect it's about to cycle back up just as it has for the last 16 or 32 whatever bars it just goes um it slides it just holds the root note um yeah like like it's like the root note that you think is starting another iteration of the melody just keeps rolling. Uh, and that is, on the one hand, the one-noteness of it is a very industrial thing to do, but the change-up there is very metal. And the idea of working within this tradition, the classic, the paradigm is, is coil in a lot of ways. Um, and where coil, it's always like, typically it's one idea per track. Like each track is based on a certain sample or two and it's like a specific sound environment or a specific sound object, right? Where it's like, this track does this one thing at maximum intensity. You know, you want the next thing, you listen to the next track. And here, there are things happening in a way that is closer to a metal idea of a song. Yeah. I get that. It's, um... <clears throat> the whole one idea per song thing... Because you, you, you kind of, like, pseudo-asked the question, I assume this is correct for Power Electronics, too. Yeah, Power Electronics is one idea per song, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, as it is for a lot of electronic or industrial music. Um, but, yeah, I get what you're saying in terms of... These songs are structured around a narrative, around a progression. It's just not the kind of progression you're necessarily used to as a metalhead. But I, I think that if you kind of carve away some of the ideas of, well, you know, this isn't the kind of melody that I'm used to, this isn't the kind of drop that I'm used to, structurally, these have a lot in common with black metal songs or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I forgot, okay, you know, I, I forgot the biggest note at the top of the notes, and the, the thing, most obvious comparison for this would be something like York Factory Complaint. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned it. There's a couple things written at the top of the notes, and I couldn't tell if those were band names or if they were just abstract ideas <laughs> so York factory complaint I was like what did something happen in the 70s and I don't know was that was that a, a comb <laughs> like a comb operation that I didn't know about or something 
Yeah, I'm sure they'd be proud of that. Um, I think it was a you know one of those two dude projects um, that has one of the guys who founded Deus Records, which is a um, sort of arty industrial label from New York that has done you know some really let's say puts out some puts out some trendy BS in order to justify having put out and putting out a lot of really good stuff. Oh, so it's um, uh, it's like RR Records. Uh, what, what is that? RR Records. Oh, what's that? Oh, just a, a noise label that kind of does mm-hmm. the same thing. Uses, yeah. like, big cool shit to justify the billion, like, 50 copy tapes that he puts out. Yeah, it's sort of it's it's highly aestheticized and it appeals to you know, it you know it can it it can appeal to the demographic formerly known as hipsters, but um it's uh you know it's it's sort of there there there's a there there musically um and um York Factory complaint is pretty cool because it's sort of uh it exists at the level of harshness that's more common in power electronics or in um in power electronics but the song and sort of noise stuff um sort of like shrieking and contact mics riffs made out of shaped noise things like that but there are riffs kind of and the Mm -hmm. songs and you know there's this pretty sharp division between stuff that's i mean basically almost all serious extreme electronic music whether it's um, or a lot of serious electronic music, especially on the power electronics or harsh noise side, kind of sh- kind of um, uh, turns up its nose at beats. Mm-hmm. And even though there are drums in a lot of post-industrial Coil-esque stuff or Death in June-esque stuff, it's not really beats. Um, but York Factory Complaint has just sort of slow, heavy beats along with these kind of riffy ideas. And um, it, it it's in an interesting middle ground between that isn't very well occupied at all, where it's like doing the most abstract and abrasive extreme electronic stuff, but, um, but also in this kind of more visceral, compelling uh, way. I've, I once played this at a party and uh, certainly a few of us thought it was a great idea. <laughs> so, um. All right, let me let me get to a sample <laughs> before we get totally lost in reminiscing over clearing out fucking house parties. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, so my overall estimation of this record um, is probably kind of predictable. I uh, I really like the stuff that sounds more like power electronics. And the more beat-driven stuff just really doesn't do it for me. I just... And I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with it. I just... I don't come from that background at all. So... It's very hard for me to interpret it as better or worse than anything else. I just... I like the parts that I like. So this mm-hmm. is a record that's kind of cut in half for me. Because I, I would say, you know, it's probably about half and half beat-driven stuff and more just textured, noisy stuff. Um, So my samples are going to come from the more textured and noisy parts. Uh, One thing that you mentioned in the notes that I thought was significant and will probably be like a linking idea for a lot of people who listen to the show is 
there's a lot of stuff on this that sounds like Reverorum Ibmalocked. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of like the uh, a lot of the like uh, drum machine blast beat driven sort of chaotically textured stuff, um, which is you know a little bit generic to describe it, but the execution of it is close enough to Reverorum that I think this guy probably listens to that band. Um, mm-hmm. There's specific ideas that occur. The idea of these noise textures slowly merging over time, over the course of this like machine gun blast beat, into a single kind of divine tone. Mm-hmm. Um, although obviously, Eight Hour Animal is uh, the divine tone. There is uh, it means something very different <laughs> than it does for Reverorum. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of moments on it's the, uh, this it's the machine god. Yeah, it's the machine god versus, you know, the Jesus god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so let's go to a track called Clever People. Um, and here's a good example of that sort of <laughs> that, thing. Happening. That's a good title. <laughs> it's a good title. And it's good in relation to Reverorum. You know? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, the clever people getting their uh, getting their god tone out of the machine. Um so, what you're going to hear is, uh, a, a, what's going to sound to a lot of the metal guys like a very simple sequence of, like, just a lot of clattering noise kind of adding up to something. But no, there's a distinct shift that happens halfway through the sample, and the ultimate effect that you'll get is something very similar to the biggest moments on a Reverorum Ibmalocked record, where all the tones merge and create one harmonic tone that is just this ecstatic crazy thing so all right So obviously the the tone that he's hitting there is just this like uh, this very high like uh, I don't think it's an E I think it's an A note um, mm-hmm. like two octaves above like four twenty A um, 
you know, and everything kind of coalesces together and you have this like horrible clattering from the drum machine and other noise frequencies underneath. Um, but in this case where Reverworm would have this very static kind of blast beat underneath it, here it's more of like a, a convoluted sort of breakcore style drum pattern. You know, you you can hear the, the kick dropping out. You can hear the like constant crazy variation of what's happening underneath and uh these moments uh these moments make a lot of sense to me um the more the stuff that's more uh, a little bit closely hewn to like techno beats or something like that don't really do it for me but when the drum machine is used as more of a noise layer with its own variations I think it blends really well with those kind of harsh noise beds that he's using. And, uh, I don't know, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, you have these, like Reverorm, you have these, like, crystalline moments of beauty amidst mm -hmm. all the chaos. And I think those are really cool. Yeah, yeah well, that certainly sets up uh, my, my next one. Um, and, uh... You know, um, just in relation to what the, what the your sample just now, like the cool thing is that that crystalline moment of beauty is also coming from a tone that could be a weed whacker. Yeah, yeah. it is now that, that is awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about this with um, uh, what was that? What was that sick band of like young dudes from Colorado that is better? Like Astral way better, team. yes. Um, way better than that other band from Colorado. Um, Blood incantation. Yeah, I was. <laughs> you should bleep that out. Um, nah. But um, <laughs> no, no. I was. I was just gonna say no. We don't mention their name. But um, uh, but um, uh, no. That that yeah. So Astral Tomb, right? This sounds kind of like Power Tools. Um, yeah. And that that. That's a good, you know, one of the coolest things that you can do with with extreme electronic music is make melodies that sound like power tools. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great example of it. You can you can work working directly with noise as your raw material. You can come up with all these ideas that are impossible on a guitar, right? Um, um, and yet resonate with it. So. My other sample just comes from later in the same song, pushing myself down, and I I did that just because like like shit really happens in that song, and uh, so first we heard that change from like this big urban epic slow doomy riff to a kind of um, industrial BM drone, um, and now we're gonna get like. Another one of these things that's not unlike the big moments on a Reverorum record. Uh, or if we want an industrial comparison to something like uh, At the Heart of It All on a coil, on, you know, by Coil. Uh, and it's sort of calling back that first original riff um, in a way that, again, is more metal than industrial, like the sort of recapitulation. Um, but just way more intense now. Uh, none of none of the chill. <laughs>
Yeah, so basically the same idea that you just pulled. Yeah, yeah. The same sort of glorious, like, pillar of light in the middle of everything. Yes, except here they've literally got the... <laughs> keyboards, right? <laughs> um, uh, and so in terms of the overall structure of the song, well, you've got an opening riff, you've got... Uh, development might be, you know, not all black metal works by development, uh, but let's say just has it has a direction of movement, right? So you get that opening riff, you get the honing down of the opening riff gradually into a single sustained bludgeoning tone. Um, and then about, you know, two minute, two minutes later on the song, right, it starts coalescing back towards this uh this singular pillar which is not a place it's been before uh it's like the one note thing earlier but instead it's a different tone uh different harmonizations uh the drum the the drums are here way slowed down uh but the idea that like your song is going to do some have some basic basic A, B, A, B kind of stuff. It's going to do some weird, do some different stuff, and then at the end you're going to pull out the big back third stonker. Yeah. Right? That's black, <laughs> Same philosophy that's, here. That's a black metal song structure, right? Yeah, that's like the black metal song structure is you save one of your best riffs for the last part of the song. Um, and um, so, so you can hear that here. Um, I'm thinking also in terms of the beats here, they're techno beats, sort of. Um, they're really industrial beats, um, which have, of course, influenced pre-date in many ways and have influenced techno. Um, Front 242 would be a great example, like electronic mm, body yeah. music type stuff. But really, I think a thing that's probably really big for this band that I didn't mention is probably Skinny Puppy. Um, oh, no, that's that's mentioned in the uh, the promo stuff. Is it? Yeah, okay, no. well, yeah, skinny God, puppy. I'm, I'm, I'm a genius. Well, no, um, I mean, like, what the fuck hasn't Skinny Puppy influenced at one point or another? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, uh, Have we ever really talked about them? I, I'm a huge fan of, like, old Skinny Puppy stuff. Okay, so that's something we both like. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that fits First with Aid the... is one of the best songs of all time. I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah, so that very much fits with the sort of uh, glass-shattering aesthetic of Venetian snares, just in a different way, right? Skinny, I mean, in terms of bands that have made it big, like Skinny Puppy, right? You could see a Skinny Puppy t-shirt on a mall goth when we were in high school. Yeah, yeah. Like, but like, a number of their albums are just some of the most inaccessible music with notes in it ever made. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a, it's amazing how catchy they can make songs without melodies. You know? <laughs> but yeah, no, but I mean, like, their songs have melodies in them. Like, it's, uh, I, I guess I just mean, like, you know, like, I listened to, like, Vivisect a lot, and Vivisect had some big hooks in it, but it oh, was, um... Oh, okay, that's, all right. I got you. I, I was mostly listening to, like, uh, Bites and Rabies, you know? Mm-hmm. Are these the uh, late later ones? Uh, no, that's that's earlier actually. Oh, earlier. Um, okay. Um, no, rabies is a little after vivisect. Bites is the first one. Um, but um, okay. Well, here here we're, we're trying to 
remember what skinny puppy sounds like but basically the idea <laughs> is that if you're a metal person and you haven't listened to the early skinny puppy um it is very avant-garde stuff um with also high shrieking vocals in its own way um oh yeah and, yeah ogre's and, um, vocals are totally black metal dude and they focus on a sonic palette that is uh pretty alien to anything else in that it's sort of like crushed fried high-end tones um that really are kind of yeah like like glass breaking or nails on a chalkboard at times while having these like big synth industrial hooks in places um and but those sort of like beat that sort of like big big hi-hat subdivided halftime beat is kind of a skinny puppy thing um you also get shit like that way later in like burial yeah yeah you do mm, um That's true. but but um, yeah so so anyway um there's your big kind of epic black metal moment but delivered with this uh kind of uh halftime ebm skinny puppy driving beat sort of thing yeah um and then let's get to my last sample uh so uh, surprisingly coming for me i i have something that relies on a purely sort of electronic music technique um so i really like in extreme electronic stuff where you have a sort of stable beat idea in this case it's a sort of a blast beat um and then you have multiple layers of textured noise like loops of them but at different lengths and you make no effort to make them sync up with each other you just let them twist and contort each other starting and stopping at different times uh you know creating this really dynamic passage of music with ironically relatively little effort there's so much cool shit that just happens when you do that i've done that myself on like noise ambient stuff that i've done in my own time um so you're gonna get some really awesome loops here and additionally before my sample starts uh there's some really awesome kind of like death industrial kind of like Atrax morgue type shit that happens mm -hmm. at the beginning of this track. Um, this is off uh, Once You Accept Everything, which is apparently, uh, according to the YouTube link, a digital-only bonus track, which means that it, it doesn't fit on a 12-inch record. So <laughs> I still consider this part of the record. Um but yeah, just listen to the way these different kind of loops play off of each other. You know, every time it cycles through on the drum beat, you have a different effect. And uh, yeah, no, I just, I really think this stuff is wonderful.
that's pretty See, cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, you know, I, I love, <coughs> I, on one hand, I really like the way this guy is kind of incorporating this uh, pseudo like extreme metal song structure to a lot of these, but there's unique advantages to electronic music that I think are awesome. And I honestly, I think they should be adopted in metal. The idea of let's just have these kind of pseudo polyrhythmic figures, you know, uh, bouncing off of each other, you know, held together by a stable beat, which is what you hear here. Um, it's a, uh, it's amazing what can happen when you just arrange a few loops of different lengths and then just copy-paste across each other, and you see the different ways they interact at different sections. Uh, I, I've always thought that was super cool and something that uh, a lot of musicians could learn from. You know, you break it out of the time signature and you just go. 